This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Hello and welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast. I'm Rose Sampson Folk, and from self-isolation, well myself in self-isolation obviously, but also talking to Lucas Weiss, a colleague of mine at Raptors Republic, a man who's done a little bit of traveling for work, not just to cause disruption and dismay the world over. He was actually, he had to go be doing it, but Lucas, you're joining me from Canada, but you recently made a trip for work. Tell us about that. What's your experience been like so far with COVID-19, the coronavirus? Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me on the pod, Sam. And yeah, so I'm currently attending journalism school at the moment at Centennial College in Toronto. And part of our program, we, we, we head to Florida every March to cover spring training, as well as some other unique projects for sports. And when I left, I mean, it was talked about, of course, in, in the world about COVID-19 and the coronavirus, but not at the extent like it is a week later and a week now, but as we got down there, things, you know, there were talks about perhaps games being played in arenas uh, with empty fans or no fans, pardon me. And then come Wednesday night, obviously got the news with Rudy Gobert testing positive for COVID-19. And then that just sort of sent the dominoes in effect for the entire sports world. The NBA suspended its season indefinitely. The NHL did so the next day and pretty well than everything after that, whether it was baseball canceling its spring training, uh, the Players' Championship Golf, which was happening in Florida at the time, also got canceled as well as various tournaments. So it was pretty surreal to be down in the States given all this news coming in so fast. And it just sort of made me realize that wow, I mean, everything that we love about sports is now taken away and that we were living in this bubble away from society, make, you know, making sure that nothing was going to dent that bubble. But now COVID-19 did. And I had to then, when I got back on Saturday, go into 14 days of self-isolation as per public health officials. So it's been a pretty surreal time, but I'm getting through it day by day and being on the podcast definitely helps. Yeah, well, I'm glad I could help out and we could we could converse in this this confusing time and hopefully the people enjoy hearing our perspectives. But when you're in there in the States, 
and you're just going about work, obviously. This is mandated journalism school. You're down there to cover baseball. Do you find that there's people panicking? What was the talk around there at that point in time? Well, it's funny because on Monday, so last Monday, I covered the Blue Jays in Dunedin. They were taking on the Tampa Bay Rays. And as usual, we had a pregame scrum with Blue Jays manager Charlie Montoyo. There was no talk really of social distancing from the club's perspective. We were able to converse with him, you know, within a few meters of each other, covered the game like normal. Then, obviously, as the days went on, everything changed. But one of our assignments was actually to head down on the Friday before we left to Clearwater Beach just to sort of get some perspective and do some hard news, interviewing fans, people about the impact of these sports cancellations. And there was disappointment. There was frustration. But people seemed to be going about their daily lives as if nothing was happening, which... I got to be honest with you, Sam, was a little bit concerning. This was being talked about. There was public health officials talking about social distancing, staying at home. But everyone was migrating to Clearwater Beach. And then a few days after, I don't know if you saw, but just the, the clips of just all these people coming down and just making sure, making it seem like nothing was wrong is a tad irresponsible from my perspective. So as much it was as it was great to cover that hard news it's i certainly left there saying you know damn i mean people need to really take this seriously and be precautious yeah that was i had to make a decision of my own i was going to toronto for almost half the month of march to cover games and to uh hang out with some pals lewis blake and the like yep. all the all the raptors republic gang of course we're and, gonna have a party yeah we were gonna have a party but all for naught, I suppose. That'll be postponed to some other time. But I was looking at that trip, and there was such a drive in myself to see. Because I live in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, and while I do have friends here, there are different cultural interests and different conversations that you're able to have with different types of people. And there's a certain, I guess, monopoly on, I guess, conversations that you have down here with, let's say, my Mexican friends or my Peruvian friends I have one friend who's a very dear friend of mine, Beto Rosado, but he, he's probably the only person I know who has a, I guess, we have a, our Venn diagram is close to a circle with a lot of the same interests. And that happens a lot with my friends in Toronto, people that I would love to see and hang out with. So there is a little bit of a calling to go back to people who come from my own culture and to have conversations that I haven't been able to have in quite some time. But I had to say, no, Sam, this is irresponsible. You shouldn't be traveling at this time. And I think 11 hours before my flight took off, I think it was on the 12th of March, when things had really started to pick up, everything was going kind of crazy. And they had canceled schools. They had done all that in Ontario. Mexico hadn't done any anything to that point. It was still, everything was ho-hum. Everybody, I wrote a piece about it on Raptors Republic, but the, the flair of the... The kiss on the cheek that you see when people are interacting in Mexico, still very prevalent. You see it on the street when people are meeting. It's a very touchy culture, a very touchy society as far as how they interact. Everything's still going as normal here. And so that made it seem like everything was normal, just watching that happen. But of course, it wasn't. And the NBA getting suspended and perhaps maybe even canceled at some point 
that was what hit home for me really and that was what drove drove because i i was reading up on the news but i still it still seems so distant and the the precaution the precautions that we're taking currently as a society they seem unnecessary because they're working and that's the thing about it a lot of people think oh well there's not that many deaths what's the point of what we're doing but what we're doing currently as a society the social distancing what you're currently going through that is to prevent the worst case. And so it's it's working currently in some places, but seeing it affect the NBA definitely that was the that was what drove it home for me. Was there was there a similar response from you? What what really made this apparent that this is the thing that's dominating the next couple months of our lives? Very similar to you, Sam. I was sitting with a friend in a hotel room. We were just watching sports. And I got the tweet on my phone saying that Rudy Gobert had tested positive for coronavirus. That's when it really hit home because I knew then, and I was saying to my friend, I wouldn't be surprised before the end of tonight that the NBA is going to suspend its season. And sure enough, it did. I think for me, look, I, you know, I'm, you know, I wash my hands. You know, people were saying to do that and just take precaution. But when I left Ontario, there were only 23 cases. And it didn't feel that serious yet. And it just felt like a problem that was occurring around the world. And while looking back with 2020 hindsight, it was, that was probably an irresponsible thought. I was just like, okay, you know, let's just keep plugging away. I have school. I have, you know, a work trip to do. You know, life goes on. And we shouldn't be bogged down by this. But I think once the NBA suspended its season, because the NBA is such a large part of my life, your life, and so many others' lives, that's when it really hit home. Because for many sports followers and supporters, we use sports as a way to escape our reality at times. When, when, the, time, when the going gets tough, when there are difficult challenges in one's life, we, we rely on sports to help us feed our positivity and optimism. But now that it's gone, that's when the problem said to myself, you know what, this is bigger than sports. The health and safety of Canadians, Americans, Mexicans, anyone around the world is the utmost priority. And we need to do whatever it takes to prevent the spread of this before, because it's already bad enough and we just got to, keep going to ensure that there's no new cases being reported and talking about rudy gobert and testing positive for covid19 it was unfortunate his behavior that was recorded but technically even though he's being treated as kind of a social pariah he did probably just because he was sick he was the first person and him being sick triggered the the need for the tests and then returning the, the positive test for COVID-19 and signaling to the NBA that it is indeed time to shut things down and then bring in the fact that the NBA is shutting things down, not just for you and I, but probably for a lot of people. I know we work in the business, so it's definitely a big deal for us, but people who, like you said, they go to sports for a sense of solace and reprieve from whatever thing, whatever thing is going on in their life, that being canceled delivered a blow that seemed very real to the severity of this of this virus of this pandemic in a way Rudy Gobert even though he's treated as a social pariah 
provided a great good to the world. And so, is that a wrong take, or you know what I mean? He's kind I, of a a sacrificial lamb. Even like I've seen takes on social media being like, "Wow, the NBA shouldn't have waited until there was you know a, a one patient case." But I mean, that's just the benefit of 2020 hindsight. I think all these leagues, they're in the business to make money. They were going to wait before, you know, someone tested positive before they were going to do something because they don't want to lose money. And if if they're just going to suspend the league without anyone being tested positive, there would be, you know, people would say, oh, you're overreacting. This is, you know, this is nothing. What are you doing? We're losing so much money here. But I agree with you. I think that Rudy Gobert down the line, I think a video of him touching microphones at the time wasn't great. But I think at the end of the day, the NBA shutting things down, given its global reach, set the, the dominoes into effect for the entire sports world to shut down. And hopefully that saves lives. I mean, now, of course, you're of Brooklyn Nets players testing positive, including Kevin Durant. And I don't know. I just think when it did shut down, it did not just the sports world a service, but a whole world of service. Because think about the amount of people that are impacted with sports every single day, with games happening in arenas, the staff that is involved to make sure that those games occur. And some arenas being shared by both hockey and basketball. So by shutting it completely down, it's just continuing that hope that the spread uh, stops and that we can get to the bottom of this to combat the virus. Especially since when we're talking about the coronavirus, it was at least initially seen as a political talking point with one side of this political spectrum downplaying it significantly, at least in Western media, and one side saying, hey, this is a big deal, we need to respond to this. No matter what, sports unifies people under one banner of whether it's Celtics, Raptors, whatever, and Democrats, Republicans, liberals, conservatives, whether it's Canadian, American, everybody fits under there. And so when your team doesn't get to play anymore, regardless if you're, let's say, a Republican president, presidential candidate is saying this is a democratic hoax it's not as big a deal i don't think we'll have any more cases going forward everybody's getting better and you're a republican let's say that doesn't seem real to you it makes it makes you want probably to just go about living your life normally but when the nba which you're probably a bigger fan of your nba team than you are of your president when they shut it down and they say no this is real we have to be responsible and look after the players, the people who work in the facility, coaches, personnel, whatever, I think that hits home across the political spectrum. So I think that's definitely the most important thing that happened is that sports has maybe an immeasurable outreach in the world. There is nothing like it, whether it's soccer overseas or football overseas, I should say, soccer in in the Western world, hockey, basketball, baseball, football, whatever it is. I think it was an important stepping stone. But before we recorded, I, I asked you if there was a, a point in Raptors history that you felt especially passionate about, that you thought was interesting, and you responded with the Chris Bosh era. Yes. And that made me smile, and I thought, well, the Chris Bosh era is hardly ever talked about. It's Vince Carter, obviously, is the, 
the start of everything, basically. Obviously, Damon Stoudemire is, is a big deal in Raptors land as well. But Vince Carter saving the franchise from the fate of the Vancouver Grizzlies, some would say, and being one of the most popular players in the NBA. In his heyday, the Raptors, one of the top five attendances in opposing arenas. He was a one-man show. He was everything. Super popular. And then the Chris Bosch era comes and goes, riddled with mediocrity. And now the, the Kyle Lowry era, which obviously super fun for a long time with this great payoff at the end. What makes the Chris Bosch era significant to you? Well, it's significant to me because I'm growing in age. So I sort of begin to understand my connection with the Raptors. I certainly remember Vince Carter and the slam dunk contest and where I was, but I was still relatively young. The Chris Bosch era was the first time I got a Raptors jersey. I went to a Raptors game for the first time during the Chris Bosch era. So there's a certain connection there. And I think for me, Chris Bosch is a little bit misunderstood and, and he's a bit of a conundrum. And I think in Raptors history, I think the championship certainly fills the, a, a lot of those wounds, if you will, felt in that era and how Chris Bosch left Toronto. But I think when you look back at the stats and what he did, when he left Toronto in 2010, he was the franchise's all-time leader in points, rebounds, blocks, and minutes played out of anyone. And I, and I don't think that should be diminished just because he left to go play with the big three at the time with LeBron James and Dwayne Wade with the Miami Heat. I can understand how Raptors fans certainly are ups- still upset by that, but and at the time for sure, but I think we need to still appreciate what Chris Bosh did, given how mediocre the Raptors were for so many years. And to me, you shouldn't pin all the blame on Chris Bosh, pin it on other, pin it on management for doing some questionable decisions. And unfortunately for Bosh, while he did have some great moments with the Raptors, he was just stuck in an unfortunate time when the franchise was just still in the doldrums it hadn't gotten out of the doldrums to become the team that it is today. Yeah, it's interesting because Chris Bosch, and something we'll talk about in a bit, I think he's a Hall of Famer. I suspect if you appreciate his time with the Raptors, you'll probably veer the same way, but uh, we'll table that for now. But being a great player, and 100%, it's not super fair that people look back at his tenure with the Raptors, and a lot of people think of that, not really as the Bosch era, but I think a lot of people think of Jose Calderon. And and whether that's fair or not, because Jose is great, and watching him run an offense was fantastic. He's one of the most underrated guards from that, I guess, era. But I think a lot of people, th- there just wasn't enough success, and there wasn't any bottoming out, and it was that treadmill team. And so that's why I thought it was super interesting that you thought Chris Bosch's run was significant and why you wanted to talk about it. And so... Specifically, are there any moments that you remember from a treadmill team that are special to you? And was Chris Bosch intrinsically tied to those moments? Well, no doubt. I, I think of the last year he was with the Raptors, the last season, 2010. It was January 20th. They were on the road taking on the Milwaukee Bucks back when it was called the Bradley Center. Um, and he set a career high 44 points. And when you look at the starters on the floor, 
You know, Turkaloo only had 13 points. Bargnani only 10. Jared Jack only 6. DeRozan only 2. All the starters were plus, plus minus were in the negative except for Bosch. And I think that just speaks to the era that he was in. This was a great player. He was in a loaded draft. The 2003 NBA draft, Samson, was loaded with LeBron, Carmelo Anthony, Dwayne Wade. My guy, Darko Milicic. Darko okay. Milicic, of Darko course. Milicic, the farmer <laughs> Never now. Never forget. Never forget. I think, again, when you look back, you know, you know, treadmill is a great analogy because the team was just sort of just molding pieces together with not sort of any vision of trying, to me, to get better. It just felt like the year after year was just the same old, same old with this team. And another game I think that is really significant was when Bosch in the regular season against Washington hit that 65-foot buzzer beater to win. I just think whenever someone does that, I mean, I know Kyle Lowry did it in the playoffs um, to, to, to send the Raptors into overtime against the Miami Heat in 2016. But when someone does that to get a game winner, it's just significant because I think, again, it just speaks to how good Chris Bosh was as a player. And to have a moment like that in times with the Raptors weren't successful, I think is incredibly significant. So, again, he's, he's a conundrum, Chris Bosh. He's a bit misrepresented. I know fans are probably still upset the way he left, but... How can you blame a guy when the Raptors were just mediocrity all the time? And I'm happy that he was able to go and get a couple championships. Yeah, and it's with the current culture, I guess the climate of the NBA as far as player empowerment, if Chris Bosh did what he did then in today's NBA, I don't think anybody would bat an eye. He's, what, an eighth between the 10th and the 8th seed, almost always. I know at the start of 2010, or I guess the start of that 2009-2010 season, they started out quite hot, but things fizzled um, quite dramatically. Mm-hmm. But you look at that team, watching Al Horford leave the Hawks, watching Paul Millsap leave the Hawks, even though they had a super high high, still considered a treadmill team because they kept getting bounced in the playoffs. Watching those players leave, wasn't all that surprising because the league had shifted somewhat. There was less teams were, you know, stars were starting to team up. It was more prolific in that sense. And so if Bosch, the star, I know he put up roughly 24 and 10 close to it. And if a star is putting up 24 and 10 on the between the 10th and the 8th seed went somewhere, I don't think anybody would be shocked today. And people are actually, for example, maybe a, a perfect analogy because those Raptors teams with Jose Calderon and Chris Bosh, exceptional offense a lot of the time and terrible defense. And that was kind of what they were, that was what they had going for them. Maybe the perfect um, example across from that is the Washington Wizards. Bradley Beal is putting up insane numbers, and yet people across the league are saying, put him somewhere where his game will matter. And even though people were upset at the time, looking back at Chris Bosh saying, put him somewhere his game will matter, and then suddenly he goes to Miami to play next to Chris, sorry, to Dwayne Wade and LeBron James. Suddenly he becomes the archetype for a stretch four, stretch five type of player. And his mobility in the pick and roll, being able to blow up pick and rolls, hedge guys out to the sideline sometimes. His 
his range on the back end of the defense and the way that Miami played, a lot of what he did was kind of a bellwether for how big men will play into the future. Do you view him that way as kind of a, a stepping stone for where we are today with big men? Absolutely. And let's not forget, in game six, LeBron missed that three-pointer. It was Bosch who grabbed that offensive board and then kicked it out wide to Ray Allen, who tied that game up against the San Antonio Spurs in the NBA Finals. I've, I mean, you know, the way, you know, you talked about it, Samson, his athleticism, the way he assists the pick and roll. He was, he was a force inside. And I think we saw that he could become when he had stars around him, like a LeBron and like a Dwayne Wade. And that's not to, you know, bemoan the, the players that the Raptors had. They, they just weren't the caliber of what LeBron and D. Wade were and some of the other supporting players were on that Heat team. And I think that your point stands, too, just about how it was the beginning of players leaving teams to join super teams. I mean, Kevin Durant got criticized for joining the Golden State Warriors. But again, it's, you know, the similar context. While he wasn't having success with Oklahoma City, so how could you blame him for trying to, you know, win a championship? I think in the case with Toronto, I think a lot of Toronto fans were still remembering the way Vince Carter departed Toronto and still feeling that, okay, this is just Vince Carter 2.0. A guy comes here, he gets drafted, he's supposed to be the future of the franchise, and then a few years later, he packs up his bag and leaves. So I think that's why Raptors fans at the time were probably still upset for Bosch leaving, just because they still remember how Vince Carter left, but I think in today's modern NBA, like, look, it happens all the time. People don't really turn a blind eye to it because it's just part of reality. The team, the players most likely aren't going to spend the rest of their career with one team. Yeah, I think you hit on that. That's probably the correct point is that there was a sentiment in Toronto that when a player came, he's going to do his four, his three years, he's going to get his four-year extension, maybe, and then he was out of there, especially the good players. And so I think you and I, especially being so close, and younger than a lot of fans, I think you and I are, but being so close to this this team that won the championship and probably getting to watch, you know, over half of our years as Raptors fans or close to half of our years as Raptors fans have been you know, the, the Kyle Lowry era or close to that, right? So watching a team that's actually good, that actually has championship aspirations, getting to see a championship definitely softens how you look at the past as far as being wronged. I'll put that in quotation, being wronged by Chris Bosh or Vince Carter. So I definitely think you bring up the right point is that Chris Bosh definitely at that point in time with the Raptors or Raptors fans being done wrong by players seemingly it would be tough to look at a guy who you're just, you're just trying to build a team that you like and that you can rally around, and now he's gone again. Vince Carter left, and it seems like what's the point of even investing into these players if they're just going to leave us? Luckily, there was a massive return on the investment for Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan especially, and I think that probably changed how we view the past. I don't know. Do you feel that way? Well, no doubt. I mean... I think, you know, like I said earlier, winning the championship sort of 
softens the wounds of what I certainly felt when Vince Carter left, when Chris Bosh left. And I think perception of those players has changed. Like you saw Chris Bosh and Vince Carter a part of the NBA Finals broadcast team. Like, imagine a few years back, like that would have never crossed my mind that two players that were, you know, booed off the court and, and you know, when when they left, were going to be part of the broadcast team on, on the Raptors' first NBA Finals. So I think the sentiment has softened. And I also think in Chris Bosch's case, the way his career ended with a life-threatening blood clot issue for sure softens things. Because I think now, looking back, I'm glad that Chris Bosch had an opportunity to feel what every player dreams of winning a championship, winning multiple championships, because the way his career ended was pretty sad. I mean, the fact that doctors basically had to tell him, if you continue playing, you're risking your life. So given all that, I'm just glad that Chris Bosch, in his time with the Raptors, succeeded statistically himself he certainly gave the Raptors two playoff appearances gave them a division title for the first time in franchise history and then once he left he got to really experience what winning a championship was like so to answer your question for sure I think my perception of Chris Bosh changed and winning the championship helped that a lot because I think the sentiments around some of those older players who left the Raptors has become more increasingly positive because I think people now are a little bit more rational. Okay, they actually had quite an impact on these teams. He's also part of the, maybe the best call in history. James catches, puts up the three, won't go. Rebound, Bosh. Back out to Allen. (laughs) His three-pointer. Bang! Tie game! <laughs> I mean, without him there... That, that's a great Mike Breen impression, by the way. Oh, thank you. I've <laughs> been working on it in the bathroom. That's <laughs> it's, it's incredible, the, the position he's occupied in, in basketball, I think, because he was on his treadmill team, putting up great points. The same way that, obviously, Chris Bosh is not Kevin Garnett, and a lot of people would be upset if you say they're a one-to-one but Kevin Garnett, if he never left Minnesota, I don't know how people view him. I think going on from Minnesota to Boston radically changed how people, and the success that followed in Boston, of course, radically changed how people viewed Kevin Garnett and the way that he's been able to harbor and bring in this championship mentality and this this very, very aggressive and bark bite dog style mentality that he has, I think would fall flat for a lot of people if he didn't win a championship and Chris Bosch, while not having the same type of outward personality, getting that championship validates all of his talent and skill as a player and Bosch and Garnett, both skinnier, very talented, smooth power forwards and playing center sometimes as well. But just seeing those guys get their props and you know, they only get their props because they became champions where a lot of players don't, I think is, is cool. And it's cool to see players, because that is what they strive for. But to swing us into, before we go to the break, 
a topic that I think will be pretty easy. It sounds like you're quite fond of Chris Bosh, but is he a Hall of Famer? Is Are we ready to put him in the Hall of Fame? What do you think? I think so. I think, look at his career, the two-time NBA champion, 11-time All-Star, the impact that he made on both teams while with the Heat, it, it was certainly... LeBron's team and D-Wade's team, he still was very important, like we talked about, making that inside presence. And then if you look at his impact on the Raptors, like I mentioned earlier, on on a team that was just constantly revolving, trying to put pieces together, he was that constant, consistent player, leading in points, rebounds, blocks, and minutes played. The franchise's all-time leader when he left in 2010. So, the way... He was as a player, the accomplishments that occurred over his time, and then the statistics that he posted. It's hard not to deny Chris Bosh as a Hall of Famer, in my opinion. Yeah, and for me as well, not just the the statistics or the accomplishments, but the aesthetic of his game, the same way that when I wrote my Kyle Lowry, the way-too-early Hall of Fame pitch for Kyle Lowry, I think it was back in September— when I wrote that, part of what I was writing was addressing how he had fit in so well with the trends that dominate the league and how Kyle Lowry was so forward-thinking and how he adopted his game. And now he was one of the leaders of the the huge pull-up three, the deep pull-up three. You can go back to his Houston days. He was pulling up. He was playing this forward-thinking basketball before a lot of other players. And so Kyle Lowry being able to step forward and be a game changer in the NBA, although probably not getting the credit he deserves in that regard, still a fact. And Chris Bosh as well, not only having all the accolades that you mentioned, of course, which almost on their own would be able to shoo him in, but having a, a wonderful statistical resume. But not only that, but being one of the leaders in changing how big men succeed in the NBA and changing and fitting alongside a play style that went very guard and wing heavy. And just his, his ability to fit in next to that speaks to his talent, especially since there were very few blueprints for him to follow. He had to be one of the, the trendsetters in that regard. No doubt. No doubt. And, and I just, yeah, I think there's players probably in that same era that maybe pop out a little bit more just because of the accomplishments, their personality, but Chris Bosch was a great player. And I think just, just what, you know, when, when people are, you know, needing something to do during these challenging times, go rewatch some of Chris Bosch's highlights and you'll just see, like you said, Samson, how he really evolved into being, you know, a player that a, a power forward player that we see today in the NBA and just the impact, that he made on, on those teams. So it, it may not have been the flashiest, but I, the greatness that he brought on the floor. And there's also, it's it's kind of nice to watch those highlights that you brought up is he, he can work in the post, man. I know he became mostly a, a pick and roll, pick and pop guy, which that makes a lot of sense. The reason why Dwight Howard probably hasn't won a championship is because he wants to post up, especially in his prime, wanted to post up more than he wanted to be a dive man. If he had just been a dive man, he probably could have been a two-time NBA champion or something like that. But Chris Bosh being able to do 
that he really was able to do a lot of stuff on the floor the same way that Kevin Garnett could dribble his ability to pass the ball. Chris Bosh was right there. He could pass, he could post, he could he could work on the dive, on the pop, spot up, whatever. He was a very multifaceted player and it was it was great to see him play for so long. Well, for sure and and you know, for me to bat, you know, again I I just mentioned, you know, the way the way it ended. I mean, obviously yeah, he had to take those precautions, but it would have been very fascinating to see, like, if he was, you know, still able to play, what type of an impact he would be able to have on a team, just because based on his experience alone, I enough, he, he could definitely provide a team with that depth to get them over the edge to perhaps championship aspirations. But one will never know, given uh, that early retirement. I thought one of the great hypotheticals was if he was actually able to go to Miami or sorry, not Miami, Houston, because he did mm. sign or he was ready to sign that that offer sheet with Houston. And then Miami said, OK, we'll give you more money. And he stayed there. But I think Chris Bosh with James Harden would have been thrilling, especially oh. if, if Chris Bosh had been able to stay healthy. I think that would have been one of the great hypotheticals in, in NBA history. It's just they fit so well together, both really intelligent players. And he certainly isn't Clint Capella in a lot of ways. But, you know, he certainly isn't Clint Capella in a lot of ways, both good and bad. And it's just, mm -hmm. yeah, that would have been really cool to see those two play together. Oh, no doubt. Like, it's, yeah, because, I don't know, Houston... Houston to me is just such a funny franchise because like, again, so much talent, but just can't get over the hump. But maybe if they had a Chris Bosch type player, they could have, because given the talent that they have and, you know, the ability of Chris Bosch to do the pick and roll with a James Harden, it could have been really lethal in that Western conference. Well, that was one of the funniest things you bring up. Houston's a funny team. They are, man. They're they just such are. a funny <laughs> team. They're just like so funny to really wrap your head around because they they should be better than than they are, but like can they be? It's just it's just such a conundrum to me that team. Well, yeah, and also I wrote about this earlier in the year in one of the black box reports, the the weekly column that is on hiatus right now. But the weekly column I do with my my guy, my buddy Lewis Satsman, was that ironically Houston traded away Kyle Lowry before they went full analytics and decided that they wanted to have the best shot chart in the NBA and they wanted to get the best shots. And then suddenly you look over at the Toronto Raptors and who has the most ideal shot chart in the NBA? The Raptors yeah. over, the, over the Rockets because Kyle Lowry driving the offense, the Raptors, was not only able to create enough three-point shots for it to be friendly for the advanced stats, but he's also driving people towards the rim. And the Raptors found that happy medium of layups and three-point attempts, whereas the Rockets were leaning, at least early in the year, a lot on the three-point attempts. So I, I always thought it's so funny because Houston is always driving, trying so hard to get there. And in doing so, they're like, hey, we got to get rid of Lowry. And then yeah. Lowry pops up seven years later. He's, he's a champion, A, but he's also doing exactly what I guess it would be Daryl Morey would want. Kyle Lowry is... The what it what would it be? He is the preeminent uh, player in the league as far as getting the analytical friendly shots. It isn't even James Harden. It isn't Russell Westbrook. It's <laughs> ironically it's Kyle Lowry because he does it with ragtag groups of guys. But and the and the Rockets trade him away. What a funny yeah. franchise! My God. Yeah, and 
a trade that they probably regret right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I would think so, definitely. But before we get into the Twitter questions, uh, Lucas, well, I should I should say listener, uh, you're about to hear an ad read, so stick around for that. Lucas and I will be back for, I should say, Twitter question. We only received one. It's been kind of a slow news day, I suppose. But you're going to hear that now. Here's the scenario. Your insurance company is denying your long-term disability claim despite the fact that you've paid premiums for years and your own doctor insists that you're not well enough to work. If this sounds familiar, call Goldfinger Personal Injury Law. You'll speak with me, Brian Goldfinger, a licensed and experienced lawyer who practices exclusively on behalf of accident victims, disability claimants, and their families. Visit goldfingerlaw.com and get us working for you. And welcome back. Still Samson Folk hosting the Raptors Weekly Podcast. Still joined by the fantastic, thoughtful, and wonderful Lucas Weiss. Lucas, you ready to get into the Twitter question? Never have been more ready, Sam. Let's get it. Okay. And the one question you received, thank you very much, Canoe Girl, who is also a member of the, the great Raptors Queens podcast. If you guys want to tune into that as well, they, they do a great job of breaking things down, talking about it from their perspective, if you feel so inclined. And Canoe Girl says... Samson, how are you handling basketball withdrawal? Dot, dot, dot. Coffee? NBA TV 24-7? Learning a second language? New hobby? Extra long walks for the dog? Please share your strategies. All caps. We need help. So I'll go first, and then I'll ask you, Lucas, what you've been up to. I've long been trying to become completely proficient in WordPress, and I'm wondering if I should keep trying to be completely proficient in WordPress or if I should be switching over to Python and trying to learn Python. Of course, these are coding languages. And most of the websites on the internet, I think like 95% are built on WordPress. So it's very, it's a very valuable thing to have. But Python seems like the best way to go forward. So I'm not sure what to do with that. I've been reading a little bit, but if I'm going to be honest, Canoe Girl, I bought the Jedi Fallen Order Star Wars game and I played a ton of that. And that isn't really what I should be doing, but... I did get into that. And, of course, Poe, my dog, going for extra long walks. But like I wrote in my piece, that was, I think, the day after the NBA suspended things. A lot of people are going to say, well, hey, I can read more, but a lot less people are actually going to start reading. It's, I think we're all going to, for at least a moment, going to get into the things that are maybe not representative of our best selves. We're going to hang out on the couch a little bit. We're going to maybe play video games, watch too much TV. I'm not sure, but... I definitely succumbed to that for a little bit. How about you, Lucas? What have you been up to? Are you finding anything optimistic to do? Are you are you building yourself into a better person with your self-isolation? <laughs> well, I'm on day five. And surprisingly, I've been better than I thought I was going to be. I, you know, still, I'm still, you know, getting a, a daily exercise in. I'm still making sure that I can walk outside. You know, there's not many people out right now. I'm doing a lot more writing, uh, you know, trying to write every day to, to keep that skill up. And, you know, you, you'll definitely be seeing articles from me on Raptors Republic very soon. And then, you know, I, I hate to say it, but I am, you know, doing, doing some reading. Uh, I know that a lot of sports websites right now are trying to, you know, publish new content, curate new content, unlock content. And, and, and just for me, I've always felt that if I want to be a better writer, I think trying to read 
journalists who I look up to and, and, and see how, how they do it during these circumstances, I think is a great way to keep up that craft of writing. And in terms of my sports, I try to watch a sports game or highlight every single day. I know a couple days ago, Sportsnet was showing game three of the Raptors Bucks Eastern Conference final last year. And starting Friday, Sportsnet and TSN are showing the whole Raptors playoff run from start to finish. So that'll be very exciting on my on my nights to make me forget about what's going on and, and revel in the magic of what was last year's Raptors championship run. Do you have a favorite sports writer? I'm a big Ken Rosenthal fan. Uh, Ken, Ro- Ken Rosenthal is a baseball writer for The Athletic. Uh, he's also on MLB Network talking baseball. And for me, every time he writes, he just makes me think. And he was the one, along with his colleague, to break the, the Houston Astros sign-stealing story. He writes about players and situations and just really makes you think. And I think that's what a good writer should do. And he definitely does that in a way that's really compelling. Like, it's not just, you know, simple language. Like, he's like sometimes he uses just really great phrases or metaphors to describe certain situations. But I just think any time that he writes a piece, I definitely want to read it because it, he just makes me think and question the world of baseball. And for every sport, I could name about, you know, so many different writers because they do the same thing. But he's definitely one that pops into my mind. Do you have one for basketball? Who, who brings basketball to life or who do you think reports it in such a prolific way? Who do, who do you got for basketball? Wow, it's... Uh... No hurt feelings either. Don't don't worry. Don't worry. Okay. okay. Um, for me, it's Michael Lee of the Athletic. Uh, he's he's someone that I really respect to the, the the quality of writing that he does, and just the way that he can encapsulate a moment without being there is something that I. Uh, really appreciate he he wrote a piece that wasn't basketball related about the Kansas City Chiefs because he's from Kansas City and just how he wasn't all all on board with the Kansas City Chiefs making the Super Bowl and it was just really compelling he just offered a lot of unique insightful perspectives that I hadn't even thought about before and he did it in such a beautifully descriptive way so definitely one obviously in Toronto Blake Murphy Eric Kareen Michael Grange you know the list can go on I think Blake is someone who, who who's just the way he can integrate stats with sports and basketball is pretty amazing so I would say those few uh and and, and there's so much more but I think in this time for me as a young journalist to improve my writing reading how they can construct a piece and, and really weave it all together is really impressive. Yeah, I think it's interesting that the the amount of, well, just the variance in writers 
different types of writers, there's more room for them now. And even though writers, I guess, on average are getting probably paid worse than they used to be because just the way that newspapers have gone and media has gone, it kind of trends towards be on TV or die in poverty, something like that. But there's there's a lot more room for voices now. And so, for example, you bring up Blake, the way he's able to meld statistics, analysis, and narrative. I think that if if somebody was asking, you know, I want to know exactly what happened in a game, obviously I'd like to say, hey, listen to the Raptors Reaction Podcast. That's That's yes. where you need to go. But Blake, reading a gamer of his, is one of the best ways, I think. He, he's so good at distilling a game, picking out what is, what's important from the game, the things that really shifted the game, the things that mattered, along with, obviously, just the facts of it and who, who was mm-hmm. good, who was bad, and parsing all that out. He's super effective. But then, on the other side, Katie, who Katie Heindel, I should say, mm-hmm. not a ton of statistics in her writing narrative based pieces with a lot of emotion and her able her ability to dive into the personality of the player the coach whomever she's covering and the way she can make even in her basketball feelings um, newsletter she could describe a a tea a teapot sitting on a counter and suddenly the room around it would be alive and just the the verbiage she uses is very very lively and it's it's cool, and also, for example, a Louis Zatzman deep dive before a series, something like that, a, a thoughtful Joe Wolfond piece on floaters. There's so many great writers, and they write different kinds of pieces. It's, uh, there's just so much room for so many cool different things, and Toronto's very lucky, I think, to have so many great writers, especially just in basketball. No doubt, and I think you're painting a picture of how these different writers have different styles, but they still can work. I mean, one day I might be really into the stats and analytics of a Blake Murphy piece, but then on another day I might be feeling more of, you know, a feeling emotional piece that Katie Heindel does. Right. And I think the differences that each writer can bring in telling these stories really bring a team, a sport to life. And I think, especially in Blake's case, I think a lot of writers tend to, you know, they, they use stats, they throw stats out there, but I think it's so important to humanize the stats and really, you know, throw it out with a purpose. Because I think for a lot of young journalists like me, and this is something that I'm trying to improve on, it's just okay, pick the stat, but really use it with a purpose, explain the context behind it, why it's important, so that the reader can really get a real understanding of what it means. And I think Blake does a really good job of that. And, and many other writers too, who use analytics to humanize them and really make them have an impact rather than just giving you a bunch of numbers without much meaning. The, the numbers are there to service the player, not service the piece, I think would be the, mm-hmm. the biggest distinction, which is so important to make because I think with so many bloggers, so many writers and, a lot of them, you know, a lot of people don't get to talk to the players but still write about the teams. It is dehumanizing a little bit. I think you can see that with maybe Patrick McCaw, who I'm not easy on Patrick McCaw. I've, you know, I, I don't, I've said it before, I don't get the fixation that the Raptors have with him. There could be something going behind, going on behind the scenes. Maybe he's improving in different ways. But I've been hard on him. But also, you know, if I was interviewing every day, do the same way you can see that. Eric Kareen, Blake Murphy, Louis Atzman, William Liu, 
all I, Alex Wong, all the Katie Heindel, all the people who are going there regularly and talking to the players, it's it's not as harsh usually because you're mm-hmm. still finding that balance of person and basketball player and analysis and they, all those the aforementioned people. I think uh, they definitely they find that that right middle and it's it's cool to see. It's definitely one of the coolest things about Raptors media is it's so well represented and I think Raptors whether it's Raptors Twitter or just fandom at large I think is so diverse in ideas so diverse in the way that they show their fandom and maybe best put by Dan Devine when he came on the podcast was talking about Raptors fans and that he he just enjoys the the drama of it but he enjoys the what would it be the energy that they bring to any subject that he, he could put out a an innocuous tweet about how maybe Norman Powell for Andre Iguodala, but even as the Raptors fans are bombarding him, he feels their passion and appreciates it, even though he's been dunked on on Twitter during it. There's just <laughs> there's something special about this team and the people who surround it, whether it's media or fans, I think. Well, and, and it's funny you say that because I was watching uh, the Run It Back podcast with uh, – Alex Wan and Will, which you should listen after you listen to the Raptors reaction podcast and it's and your podcast, <laughs> Sam. Um, but uh, talking about if the NBA season gets canceled and just how unfortunate it would be for, for this team because I think you and I share, you know, we've talked about this team a lot and, and this team is very special in, in different ways. Obviously, last year's team won the championship. But I think this team, unlike maybe any other team in Raptors history, every time they stepped out on the floor, they believed they could win. And they just possessed the championship pedigree and DNA that allowed them just to have that confidence every time they stepped out onto the floor in a big game, whether it was without Serge Ibaka or Kyle Lowry against the LA Lakers in November, whether it was down by 30 points against the Dallas Mavericks. Winning, um, you know, a franchise record, seven, you know, 16, 15, 16, 17 in a row. Um, it just was so impactful. And, and because this team just had a swagger about them that was just so special. And I think that's what makes Raptors Twitter and the writers that, that have presented this team so special is because they've just been able to tell the story of this team in a meaningful way and and it would be unfortunate albeit the right course of action if it's necessary to protect the health and safety of of citizens around the world but still unfortunate that they couldn't get a true title defense they couldn't go down that playoff run because i think you and i believe and probably many others believe that this team was fully healthy they could give milwaukee all for their money in a Eastern Conference final rematch. Oh, I certainly think they could. I wouldn't, I'd be, there'd be some trepidation to pick them to win, exactly. but there's no way, there's no way I would count them out. There's too much intelligence, too much fight, and too much skill, and too much potential for them to to get to a place where they maybe can out-scheme, out-work, and out-think the Bucks. No doubt, and, and, and Nick Nurse probably had schemes up his sleeve that, that we didn't even see yet that he would throw at Milwaukee. So it, it definitely would be a big uphill climb given that they don't have Kawhi Leonard anymore. Milwaukee's gotten better, but just the experience of having won a championship the previous year, 
the way that these players are so bonded together that I think they could give Milwaukee a six or seven game series and let's see, you know, who the best team is. Yeah, because last year they weren't supposed to win either. And then no. there they were suddenly. They were down 0-2. They were down 0-2 and they had to win in double OT without Kyle Lowry on the floor because he was fouled out to, to basically keep them in the series and the rest is history. Definitely. And there's current there's a bookmark in history right now with the the virus and every well, the current pandemic, obviously. This is a moment in history that will be looked back on for who knows how many years. The same way people think back to the Spanish flu. That was a moment in history. That was a thing that happened. I think we're going through one of those right now. Whether or not there's enough fatalities to to rival the Spanish flu or other types of pandemics. The, the economic implications, the radical change of the political landscape and the social landscape that is following this, I think, will be talked about for, for a long time and ad nauseum. But to get us out of here, because I don't think that's our, our profession to talk about it, and I don't, know if we'd be able to pro- <laughs> I don't know if we'd be able to provide anything of true substance. Lucas, thank you so much for coming on. The floor is yours. Direct the people where you wish and, and tell them what they should be listening to. Or, uh, or reading. Well, thank you again, Sam, for having me on the pod. You can find me on Twitter at Weese Sports, at W-E-E-S-E Sports. I'll be doing a lot of writing, so expect pieces on Raptors Republic to be coming up soon. And you can find me there for all your, uh, your, your sports needs right now because I, I try to watch a sports game or highlight daily and offer some perspective. And certainly when the Raptors championship playoff run is, is aired again on Sportsnet and TSN, I, I, I most definitely will be live tweeting those games to get people uh, away from what they're thinking right now and all the challenging times and remember a really positive time in our lives when social distancing was never a concept where people, you know, the whole country came together to support the Toronto Raptors. Yeah. And th- thank you for your input, man. Thank you very much for coming on. Listener, make sure you follow him at We Sports. And for me, just listening to this podcast is already doing plenty for me. Obviously, you're somewhat invested in who I am as a person. So thank you for that investment. And I hope to invest back with, with the good podcasts and content worth your while. Thank you for listening. Lucas, thank you once again for coming on, man. Thank you, Samson. All right, and listener, whether you're getting into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com.